Okay, let's pray. Father, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. Let us know you better. Let us see, Lord, your truthfulness and your truth in a deeper light and appreciate it more than ever. Lord, let us just come to know you in all of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. One of the most common sins that people commit is that of lying. Would you agree? That's a pretty common sin. In a study conducted in 2002, I'll get closer here, it was discovered that on average, a person told two or three lies in a 10-minute conversation. It was also noted that we are lied to up to 200 times a day. I don't know how they found this out or discovered this truth, but maybe they're talking about false advertising, all the different things that occur to you during a day. There will be up to 200 different deceptions that people are leveling against you. It was also noted that babies begin to deceive others as early as six months of age. They will often cry for no reason just to get attention. Psalm 58 verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from birth. The Bible knows what it's talking about. <laughs> Those who go astray do so from birth. They speak lies from birth. None of us ever had to take our kids aside, did we, and teach them how to tell a lie. Did any of you parents ever do that to your kids? But somehow they figured it out all on their own. It was within their own sinful and deceitful hearts and lying comes in the form of little white lies or exaggerations or outright deceptions broken promises fabrications and plagiarism there's all kinds of ways that we deceive other people and with so much lying and deception occurring among us it's extremely refreshing to me to know that there is one being in this universe who never lies and that's God Almighty himself. God does not lie. God is completely and absolutely truthful. When it comes to people, we always have to be on our guard a little bit because we never know, really, is everything they're telling me God's honest truth or is there some little deceptions in there? But when it comes to God and what he's spoken to us in his word, we never have to worry about that because God is always truthful. Now, why do we believe that God is always truthful? Let me take you through just a series of verses quickly to give you sort of a, a flavor of what the Bible says about God's truthfulness. Psalm 31 verse 5. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. So here God is called the God of truth. Or John 3.33 says, He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. He's the God of truth, and he is true. Titus 1 verse 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. What is that? God cannot. You, do you know there's certain things God can't do? We talk about can God lift a rock so big, or can he create a rock so big he can't lift it? Well, things like that are a little silly, but here's one that God can't do. He can't lie. Do you know why? That's right. It's a conflict within his own being. At God's core, he's truthful. So God can't, because of who he is by his nature, he can't go against that. In Hebrews 16, 
or 6.18, it says it is impossible for God to lie. It's not that it's difficult for God. It's impossible for God to tell a lie. Numbers 23.19 says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? There the Bible tells us that when God makes a promise, you can absolutely depend on that promise being fulfilled. God will bring it to pass. Daniel 4.37 says, All his works are true. All of them. So if God is a God of truth, then we would expect him to make good on all his promises. And that's exactly what King Solomon said and prayed when he was dedicating the temple so many years ago. He said, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he promised through Moses his servant. So God made many promises but not one single word of what God promised fell to the ground and failed to come to pass. Now in the remainder of our message today we've talked about how God is truthful but now let's focus on God's truth. And I want to show you some characteristics of God's truth. You know, what is God's truth like? Let's talk about that first of all. And then let's dovetail into a section where we talk about what should we do in light of God's truth? How should that affect our lives? So first of all, what is God's truth like? Secondly, what do we do with God's truth? So the characteristics of God's truth, I'm going to mention five of them today. And the first one you're going to think is, why even say it? But I think we need to. God's truth has been revealed. And the reason we need to bring that up is because God was under no obligation to reveal any of his truth. Right? God could have just let human beings go on in ignorance of his truth if he had wanted to. He was under no compulsion to have scripture written by men, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, compiled in a book called the Bible where we could know God and know His truth. God didn't have to do that, but He did that. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says that God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. So God has spoken. God is not silent. And the Bible is his word and God has spoken through that word to his creatures. Did you know that 417 times in our Bible it says, thus says the Lord. 417. God has spoken and God wants us to know that he has spoken to us. If, there was, if, if God had not chosen to reveal his word, there is no way that we could ever have discovered it. Because it's not naturally discerned by our minds. It's a supernatural knowledge that God gives us through this supernatural communication. So just how did God reveal his truth to man? Well, first of all, he did it in his word, which we've always, already talked about. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is what? Truth. Jesus said, Lord, your word is truth. So when we hold God's word in our hands, we can say the same thing. This is truth. 
He did it in his word. He also revealed his truth in his son. John chapter 1 verse 14 and 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And you remember in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus is not just a teacher of the truth. He's the very embodiment of truth. He is truth incarnate. He's the fountain of all truth, the essence of all truth. To hear Jesus is to hear truth. And to see him is to see truth in action. So, God has revealed truth in his word, in his son, and thirdly, in his spirit. Three times in the book of John. John 14, 16, John 15, 26, and John 16, 13. Those three times, Jesus said that the helper is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the one that God has designated to communicate his truth to men. So that truth comes in his word. It came by Jesus Christ, but it's communicated to us by the power of the Holy Spirit who's working in our minds and our hearts that we might understand the spiritual truth of God's word. So that's the first thing you need to understand about God. The first thing is that God has revealed his truth. The secondly, second thing is that it is absolute. God's truth is absolute. Now, I know I probably look like a dinosaur telling you that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Because our generation no longer believes that. Three out of four Americans no longer believe that there is any absolute truth. And when I talk about absolute truth, this is what I mean. That something is true in all places and at all times, under every circumstance. It's absolute. Now, people don't believe that. Well, three out of four don't. There's a, there's a few left that do. Here's the idea. People today think that something is true for me if I think it's true and find it meaningful. If believing in God makes you feel good, then for you, there is a God. But if I don't feel the need for God or religion, then for me, there is no God. Truth is defined by my thoughts and my feelings. And under the popular conception of truth, you can have as many truths as there are people in the world. Because it's all relative. To, to your situation or to your thoughts or to your feelings. Truth changes. It's like a chameleon. It changes all over the place. The Bible is not relative truth. The Bible is absolute truth. It's truth that applies to all people under all situations at all times. Whether anyone believes it or not, it's still true. God is real whether I believe in him or whether I don't. Truth exists apart from me. It's objective. It stands outside of me. Whether I believe in that or embrace it or not, it's still true. Folks, hell is true whether you believe in hell or not. Heaven is true whether you believe in heaven or not. Jesus Christ is a Savior whether you believe that or not. These are objective, absolute truths of the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 142 says, Your law is truth. Jesus didn't say your word is truth in some places, at some times, 
With some people, he said, God, your word is truth. So, truth has been revealed. Truth is absolute. And thirdly, God's truth is infallible. The word infallible means it is incapable of error. The Bible and its original autographs. Do you know what I mean by that? The Bible was written by men and they wrote it down in manuscripts or autographs. The original handwritten signatures of John and Esther and Genesis. When those were written, the first copies were perfect without error. Now, boy, I hope I'm not just putting doubt in your mind right now. We, we don't have any of the original manuscripts of the Bible, but we have so many of them and they can be compared with each other that we know that there is no substantial doctrinal distinction or difference that has crept into our Bibles in over 2,000 years. Scholars will tell you that, that have studied the ancient manuscripts. So the Bible, the Word of God is infallible. It's incapable of being wrong. And doesn't that make perfect sense? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is inspired by God. The idea behind that is all scripture comes from God as its source. God brought it into being. It is, all scripture is inspired, it's expired, it's breathed out by God. And if God is perfect, and if God knows all things, well then of course, his word, that which he speaks, is also going to be truthful and without error. Number four, God's truth is immutable. It means it doesn't change. It cannot change. If it was perfect when God spoke it, there's no reason for it to be improved upon. Now I know a lot of people today try to improve upon the Bible. They want to change the Bible. The LGBTQ plus community would like to change some things in the Bible because it doesn't jive with what they believe is reality and true. When it comes to sexual morality today and how we have done just a 180 and we're shifted and going down an opposite direction from, from God's truth, people would like to change some of those in verses of the Bible and just rip them out and delete them. When it comes to gender issues, there are people who would like to change the he, referring to God, to she or to it because it's not comfortable for them to regard God as masculine. We must be very, very careful when it comes to God's word that we never add to or take away or change the word of God. There are only five options for someone who doesn't like what God's word has to say. Number one, get rid of it. And that's what some people have done in communistic countries. They've banned the Bible, burned the Bible, tried to take it out of their land. Number two, ignore the Bible. Just pretend as though it doesn't exist. Number three, change it. We'll just change the words we don't like, take out the parts we don't like, put things in that we do. Four, reinterpret it so that it meshes with what we like, what we already believe. Or four, submit to it. And that's the only reasonable response when a sinner approaches his creator and he realizes his creator has spoken. The only reasonable response is to bow down and submit to God's revelation. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, Opinions alter, but truth certified by God can no more change than the God who uttered it. One more characteristic of God's truth. It is sufficient. 
That means it's enough. It's adequate. It's complete. Some people have said this, all the Bible is true, but not all the truth is in the Bible. Let me say that again. All the Bible is true, but not all truth is in the Bible. In other words, the Bible is infallible, but it's not sufficient. When it comes to what's in the Bible, yeah, that's true. There's no errors, but the Bible doesn't contain all the truth that we need. Well, what does the Bible itself say about that? Back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate or complete or thoroughly equipped, thoroughly furnished for every good work. That word adequate or complete is talking about sufficiency. It means it is enough to equip us for every good work that God wants us to do in this lifetime. In many churches and denominations, a man is not considered to be able to counsel others unless he has a degree in psychology. In other words, his knowledge of God's word alone is not enough to be able to counsel others. He needs secular psychology to help him be able to counsel other people. I reject that idea. I believe that the word of God, a knowledge of the word of God alone should be adequate for us to be able to help others fight the Christian life and overcome sin and give hope to those who are depressed and weary. Nor do we have to have extra biblical revelation in order to live the Christian life. Like words of knowledge, words of prophecies, words of wisdom, tongues, interpretation of tongues, dreams, visions, supernatural revelation. I'm not saying that I don't think God does that, because I do think that God can give and does give supernatural revelation. But if he doesn't give it to you, does that mean that you're somehow can't live out the, your Christian life? That you're missing something vital and essential? Absolutely not. God's word is enough for you to live out the Christian life. It equips you. It makes you adequate for every good work. So let's just review those. God's truth has been revealed. God's truth is absolute. God's truth is infallible. It is immutable. And it is sufficient. Okay. With that as our background, let's talk about what we should do with God's truth. Half of the sermon today is going to be application. So the rest of this message is all application. And I'm just going to take you to passages in the Bible that tell you specifically what God wants you to do with His truth. There's 12 things here. Number one, we should buy God's truth. Proverbs 23, 23. It says, buy truth and do not sell it. And you're saying, wait a minute, how can we buy truth? You want me to take out my wallet and take out $100 and somehow get some truth? Well, the Bible's speaking figuratively, figuratively when it says buy the truth and do not sell it. It means to make whatever expenditure of your time, your energy, and your effort is necessary to get truth. It means be willing to invest yourself so that you obtain truth. How much time and effort and energy are you investing in obtaining God's truth? Are you buying the truth? Are you taking whatever time and energy and effort you have in order to have more truth? And then once you have it, are you selling it? Are you letting it go easily? Or are you clinging to it as if your life depended on it? Secondly, we should pray for God's truth. 
And what I mean by that is we should pray that God would lead us into more and more of his truth. Especially when we sit down with an open Bible and we begin to read. Before we even open that book, we should utter a prayer to God that he would give us eyes to see his truth. That's what the psalmist did. Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. The psalmist prayed, Lord, lead me in your truth and teach me. Or Psalm 43, verses 3 and 4. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Make that your prayer when you open your Bible. Lord, send out your truth right now. Let it lead me. Let it bring me to your holy hill. Meaning, let it, let it bring me to a place of communion with you. Where I can have fellowship with you. We don't just want to read this Bible for duty's sake. We want to read this Bible so that we can have a relationship with God. That's what it was given to us for. That we could commune with God. And if it's not doing that, it's not having its intended effect. So pray that God would help you to commune with Him through His Word. Three, we should believe God's truth. We should believe it. It's not enough to know it. You need to trust it. But isn't it good to know that if God is absolutely trust, or let me put it this way, absolutely truthful, then when we come to his word, it should be easy for us to trust what he has said. Romans 9.33 says, He who believes in him will not be disappointed. It's wonderful to know that we have a sure and solid deposit of truth that we can put our trust in and bank our lives on it won't disappoint us. 1 John 5.10 says, The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. Did you know that if God tells you something in his word and you don't believe it, you're insulting him? You're telling him that he's lied. You don't believe him. And that's an insult, especially to someone who has never and cannot ever tell a lie and is absolutely truthful, and you're saying, no, I don't believe you. That's saying, you're lying. So, let's not insult the Lord. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we need to believe the truth, the truth of the gospel. Or if we look at the opposite side, let's take a look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. For this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So there are some who do not believe the truth. They receive a deluding influence and there are others that do. They receive the sealing of the Holy Spirit. A fourth application for God's truth. We should love it. We should love God's truth. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2.10. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. There are certain people that do not receive the love of the truth. Not just the truth, but the love of it. 
and they're the ones that perish. Psalm 1 verse 2 says that the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He delights. Can you honestly say right now that you love the truth? If you love ice cream, what will you do? Eat it. You're going to save up your money to buy it. You're going to be thinking about it. You're going to go down to the store and pay for it. You're going to take it home and scoop it into a bowl and you're going to eat it, right? If you love the truth, what are you going to do? You're going to think about it. You're going to pursue it. You're going to chase after it. You're going to enjoy it and take it into your heart and your mind just like ice cream. Same thing. You, we need to love the truth of God's Word. Number five, we should value or esteem God's truth. Job says in Job 23:12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So Job said, it's more important to me that I get God's truth than I get my breakfast. Uh, Ray Comfort would always say, no, no Bible, no breakfast. If he doesn't spend time in the Word, he doesn't eat. He, he takes that from Job 23, 12. I esteem the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. I'm going to fast before I will give up my Bible time with God, is what he's saying. Do you esteem God's Word? How important it is, is it to you? Really try to be honest today. Is it important? And how important is it? Number six, we should hear God's truth. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing God's truth. So how do we apply that? Well, you listen to someone preach and teach the truth. Or you can read the Bible out loud and hear it in your ears as you're reading it. Or today with our technological gadgets we can go on our apps and we can have somebody read the Bible to us if we want. Hearing the truth is important because it builds faith. So I would encourage you make the gatherings of the church priority in your life because it's there that you hear the truth being preached and taught. Jesus said in Revelation 2 and 3, He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hearing the truth. Okay, number seven. We should memorize God's truth. Psalm 119 verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the psalmist there says that he stored up God's word in his heart. He hid it there. He put it into his heart and hid it inside there. I just want to encourage you, when, when you're reading the Bible and you come upon a passage that's meaningful to you, it strikes a chord with you, it seems like God is speaking through that passage, just stop right there and see if you can commit that verse to memory. Because God has spoken, why not keep it? Hide it up in your heart. Let Him speak to you from that word over and over throughout the rest of your life. Number eight, we should meditate on God's truth. There's a difference between memorizing and meditating. Meditating is very simple. It means to think about. You can read the Bible without thinking about what you're reading. 
I've done it before. I can read it, I can close it, and I thought, what did I just read about? What was that? I didn't meditate at all, did I? So, what you need to do is slow down. And the best way to do that that I found is have an, a journal and a pen or pencil with you. Slow down and start writing the thoughts that you have as you read the word. And you'll be surprised at the things that you will come up with just by taking, slowing down and taking time to write your thoughts and ideas on a piece of paper. It makes your thinking clear to do that. So meditate on the word. Think, think deeply about it. And then see if you can recall one or two or three times throughout the day, maybe when you're in line at the post office, when you're just driving down the road with nothing else to do, to see if you can recall the truth that God showed you that morning. Recall it back to mind and think about it again. Psalm 1 verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And in Joshua 1.8, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Now we say, I just don't have any time to meditate. That just takes way too much time. Well, who did God tell that to? Joshua. Who was Joshua? He was the general of Israel's armies. Do you think a general has a lot of extra time on his hands to do nothing with? No, he, he's got all kinds of responsibility. But God charged him to meditate on his law day and night. So we can't use the excuse that we just don't have enough time. We all have enough time to do what we really want to do with that time. Number nine, we should study God's truth. Should you see the progression? We're hearing it. We are, uh, okay, what comes after hearing? Uh, meditating. Memorizing, and here's another one, study. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman that does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That little phrase there is the one I want you to consider. Accurately handling. There's a way that you can inaccurately handle the word of truth, and I think it happens a lot. Just... Go on Christian TV and listen to a few sermons. There's lots and lots of people that are inaccurately handling the word of truth. Now, how, how do we accurately handle the word of truth? This comes down to interpreting the Bible correctly. There is an actual word for this. You guys know what the word is? Hermeneutics. It's called hermeneutics. It's the science and art of biblical interpretation. There are right ways to interpret the Bible and there are wrong ways to interpret the Bible. And I think that every single Christian should be concerned enough to learn the rules of correct biblical interpretation and seek to apply them as they read the Bible. When I was growing up as a young Christian, about the only example we had was Bible roulette. You know, we were said, just open the Bible any place, look at a verse, and the Holy Spirit will, sh the first verse you read will be your verse that the Holy Spirit wants to give you. We didn't read the part before it. We didn't read the part after it. We had no idea what it meant in its context. We just said, oh, that's God's word for me today. That's absolutely the wrong way to interpret the Bible. Let me just give you a couple of the most basic elements of hermeneutics. Context is king, meaning that if you read a verse and it doesn't jive with what comes before it or after it, you have the wrong meaning. 
God isn't speaking the way you think he is. He's speaking when it comes to how that verse fits in with the flow of thought of the author of that passage. Context. Authorial intent is another one, meaning what did that author intend to teach the people that he was writing to or speaking to in that setting when he did it? You can't take a verse out 2,000 years and just look at it apart from what the author meant. You need to find out what he meant because that's what God means for you. Now there's many different applications of scripture but there is one correct interpretation of scripture and all of us as good Bereans need to be about finding the accurate interpretation of scripture. There are several times that I've taken, not, not our church necessarily, but other churches and people that were interested in just a study of biblical hermeneutics. And uh, if, if, if there are people in our church who would like to get grounded in that, we can do a series of studies on that so that you feel more equipped. That when you come to the Bible, you feel like you have a handle on the correct way to, to go after the meaning of that passage. Okay, number 10. We should speak God's truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now this isn't just written to pastors and church leaders and apostles and prophets and evangelists. This is written to the entire church that was at Ephesus. And when Paul wrote to the entire church, he said that all of you are to speak the truth in love. You know, you guys are really privileged because most churches that I've ever been a part of don't allow this speaking the truth in love to really go on during the service. Maybe in a small group somewhere it can happen, but every Sunday we give opportunity for the church to speak the truth to one another in love. I would encourage you to really value that and take advantage of that and when you come to the meeting, come prayed that the Lord would give you some truth to speak to the body because that's how we grow up into the head, even Christ. So speak the truth to each other. As you read the Bible, God ministers truth to you. As you journal, you write truth. Bring those truths with you and bless other Christians. Number 11, we should teach the truth. Teach the truth. Now, I'm not talking about standing up before the church and preaching or teaching authoritative doctrine to the body because James 3 1 says let not, let not many of you become teachers knowing that you incur a stricter judgment. That kind of teaching should not be something that everybody aspires to. The Bible tells us that they shouldn't. But Hebrews 5 12 says though by this time you ought to be teachers you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. So Hebrews 5.12 says that the whole church in one way or another should be teachers. Not authoritative teachers of biblical doctrine standing up in front of the congregation. I'm not talking about that. But fathers and mothers should be teaching their children. If you've been walking with the Lord longer than some other person in the church, maybe it's time for you to start taking that person under your wing and helping them learn the truth that God has shown you. That's called discipleship. If there's a neighbor or a workmate or a classmate or someone that's just coming into the knowledge of God, steer them in the right direction. You can do that. Teaching the truth is something that all of God's people can do on one level or another. Third John, well, let me go back here. 
One final application. We should obey the truth. Obey it. Or walk in it. Ezra 7 verse 10 says that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So Ezra did three things. He set his heart to study it, to practice it, and to teach it. Now we've already talked about studying it and teaching it. Let's zero in on that middle one. He set his heart to practice it. You know, a, a preacher is way different from any other orator. Someone can be a great orator and not live out the things that he says. But if someone is to be an effective minister of the gospel, he can't be someone who lives a life diametrically opposed to the truth that he teaches. If he does, his ministry is worthless. He has to live what he teaches. He has to walk it out. And if we are to be valuable in the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, we need to obey the truth. You can't speak it and then live like the devil the rest of the week and just speak his truth on Sunday. You need to live it out. In th th 3 John 4, John says, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Now what does it mean to walk in the truth? It's talking about your lifestyle. How you order your lives. To walk is to live out the truth. In Romans chapter 2 verse 8, here's the opposite. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. So here God says, if you're one of those people who do not obey the truth, what can you expect? You can only expect God's wrath and indignation. Which means that you're not saved. You're a lost person. You're headed for eternal damnation. Because obedience to the truth is one of the marks of a child of God. Now he doesn't do it perfectly. None of us do. But he, he, it's the direction of his life. He seeks it. And he repents when he fails. Those are the 12 marks. The 12 ways that we can live out God's truth. It's a tall order, isn't it? I think it all comes down to this. I think it comes down to one of those that, where we said that we need to esteem God's truth. It comes with esteeming it, valuing it, loving it, cherishing it, placing it up way up here as something so valuable that I need to pursue it all the days of my life with all my heart and soul, with everything within me, I need to chase after God's truth. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to pursue your truth. That, Lord, we would be absolutely determined day by day by day to open up our hearts to your truth. And that, Lord, if we are ignorant of important truths from your word, we ask that you would speak to us and lead us into your truth. I pray, Lord, that all of us here, each morning or sometime during the day, would make your truth a priority, that we would ask you to take it and apply it deeply within our soul. Lord, teach us to feed on it 
and especially that we would obey it. Help us to live it out, O oh Lord, in all of its many, many dimensions. In Jesus' name, amen.